Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are, with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target, or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Everybody, we got a great one, you know, for a change. Now, for those of you who are excited about the RICO charges against Trump and the 18 other defendants in Georgia, and it is exciting, it lays out pretty much the whole plot to overturn the election in a much more complete manner than uh, we have in the Jack Smith January 6th charges. Uh, for those of you who are hopped up about that. I, I have one today that um, is interesting, you know, uh, for a change, but uh, maybe we'll give you a dose of reality about what is going on with the part of the electorate that doesn't listen to this podcast as often as you do, or most likely ever, because this is a preview of Wednesday's Republican debate that will be held by Fox News, of course. And my guests are Tim Miller, a former Republican and a writer at large for Bulwark, uh, who you may know from his frequent appearances on the MSNBC network, uh, where he is a regular contributor. And Charlie Cook, the political analyst who has run the Cook Report for, I don't know, 40 years or so, analyzing congressional races throughout the country, and uh, both Tim and Charlie um, have their finger, their fingers on the pulse of Republicans and independents who uh, lean Republican, and holy mackerel, uh, their report is uh, sobering. So this is also a sobering one for a change. For example, if you thought well, I guess Nikki Haley and Tim Scott in this debate may have their eye on the second spot on the ticket. Well, these guys say, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Tim Miller has been following the candidates in Iowa and elsewhere. And, uh, and Nikki Haley, for example, has been criticizing Biden for not giving Ukraine Enough support. Well, it turns out that the, the MAGA crowd hates that. They think uh, we have no business helping Ukraine. The degree to which the nutcase right are America firsters is, uh, is disturbing. Tim Scott uh, is in the same boat as Haley, way, way, way too conventional a Republican for the MAGA crowd. That's why DeSantis positioned himself the way he has 
except he has uh, some shortcomings, it seems, in the charismatic um, human being uh, category. He has been rated by Republican voters last on the fun scale. Uh, Trump is the most fun. If you're a Republican, that's, that's your idea of fun. And DeSantis is evidently less fun than Pence. Think about that. That's hard, that's hard to do. If Trump makes it to the uh, nomination and Charlie and Tim and I discuss the narrow possibility that Trump is, oh, say, convicted in the January 6th trial on all counts and sentenced to a total of 20 to 25 years and his appeals are rejected, maybe, just maybe he agrees not to run for president in exchange for no jail time. And I suppose the judge in Georgia would have to have to agree with that because you can't, there's no pardons in Georgia from, from like the feds. All the judges in the cases would have to sign off in this canon in Florida. I don't think she'd have any problem with this. Tim Miller makes the case that maybe Vivek Ramaswamy would be the strongest candidate with the uh, Trump supporters, but maybe for the fact that he's Hindu. And the word is that DeSantis is going to go after Ramaswamy. And Tim Miller suggests that Ramaswamy, or Vivek, as he prefers to be referred, uh, will wipe the floor with DeSantis. So that's going to be fun to look forward to. I I don't know uh, if you've seen DeSantis' campaign. I saw a video of him in a cafe in, I think it was New Hampshire, and he uh, goes up to this guy. And he says, uh, what's your name? And the guy says, Ken. And DeSantis says, okay. Not nice to meet you. Not uh, do you hear a lot. What would you uh, recommend? What do you do here uh, in New uh, Hampshire? Nothing. Nothing. Um, Christie's in the debate. He's in. He's qualified uh, for the debate. To be in the Fox debate, you have to agree to support the eventual nominee. And, of course, Christie's whole campaign is that you can't put this crook and traitor Trump in the White House again. But he signed the agreement to support the nominee, and we'll just ignore it if Trump's the nominee, which he will be uh, fine with, I'm, I'm sure, I guess. Uh, but that's what you do if you're uh, Chris Christie and if you want to get into the debate. You just you, you do that. Pence hasn't signed the agreement, but he needs to get in the debate. So my guess is, yes, I will support the nominee even if he tried to have me killed. So there's a lot to talk about here, and from uh, a very different perspective, Tim Miller and and Charlie Cook, I think this will be a very valuable one for you to listen to, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language 
the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. We're going to talk about this uh, debate on Wednesday. With how many are in it now, we got uh, uh, Trump's not going to do it, right? Or is he, has he said he's going to do it or says he might do it, might do it, which means he won't, right? Yeah, I don't expect to see him. What do you think, Tim? I almost certainly don't expect to see him. Um, I, I would think maybe in the third debate, you might see him. Eventually, he'll get tired of the attention not being on him. But uh, he's not officially announced at, at, at the time of the tape. I guess you have eight people that theoretically are qualified, but three of them have not signed uh, the pledge, uh, Trump, Christie, and Pence. So Christie said he'll sign the pledge. Christie said he'll, he'll, he'll sign the pledge. That's the pledge to support the nominee. Yeah. Christie's basically said, I'll, I'll sign your stupid okay. pledge if you want. <laughs> what are you going to do? Send the cops after That's me? That's a hell of a pledge. <laughs> Take that one to the bank. Okay. And, and Pence hasn't said it, he'll sign the pledge. Aye. How how could Pence, <laughs> you know, Pence isn't Christie. Christie can right. say, "I'll sign your stupid pledge," and I won't I won't follow it. But that's not Pence, right? Yeah, I've met him, but I don't really know him. But to me, I just say, you know what? I'm not going to win this nomination, so I'm going to say, you know, I did the right thing and let the chips fall where they may, and. You know, go out with your guns blazing, but that's that's just not him. Yeah, the pledge is this is so stupid, and we like went through this in twenty. I literally went through this with Jeb, where we were deciding whether or not to sign the pledge. We he was was deciding, and you know there was like some little breathless Politico story from the before times about like oh someone the campaign think he should and something he shouldn't, and uh, I, I, it all turned out to be totally irrelevant. But I, in the end, he did which what I assume Pence will do, which is just like yeah whatever, like I'll sign it and not make a big deal out of it, and then and then break it. Okay, so right now. Now I've qualified for the debate are uh, obviously Trump, but probably won't be there. DeSantis, uh, Ramaswamy, Pence, Scott, Haley, and Christie. Did I miss anybody? Bergam. 
Bergham. Oh, and Burgum, yeah, of course. And Burgum, who I actually like a little bit. <laughs> so you're the uh, one. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> I'm the one. Well, I, I made a lot of money because I, 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 I made $19 from them. <laughs> he did this thing. What is it that if you contributed a dollar to him, he'd give you a $20 gift certificate? I'm surprised that's not illegal in some states. It's been done before, and that's how he qualified to get enough uh, yeah. contributions to be in the debate. But yeah. but he he's uh, the governor of North Dakota. I don't know. He sounds like a grown up a li- at least. He's he's wants to get to uh, zero carbon in North Dakota, which is ridiculous. I mean, not ridiculous. I it, that doesn't mean he's not going to be exporting ca- carbon, and he wants to sequester CO two to pump up. Some of the <laughs> hydrocarbons, some some of the oil and gas. So um, I, I think he's kind of interesting. Let's see him debate. Uh, how how are how is this latest indictment going to affect anything uh, in the, in this debate? I don't think it's going to change things a whole lot. I I just think that Trump has a trance over the Republican Party that's um, inexplicable, but it is there. And, uh, you know, I, I just think the two thirds are going to be with him or, you know, two thirds are going to end up being with him no matter what. And it's just, uh, you know, this the, the, the party that that Tim grew up in doesn't exist anymore. And, and not that Democrats haven't changed, too. But when you see the share of non-college whites in the Republican Party in just 10 years going from 48 to 62 percent. Wow. And the percentage of whites with a college degree going from 40 to 25, this is a different Republican Party than was 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, obviously. Um, I, I think strategically, thinking about how the candidates will react on the stage, um, I think we can just put Christie aside for a second because he'll be different than the other. I think there'll be two basically approaches to all the indictments. I don't know if the fourth one is any different from the third or the second as far as their strategy is concerned. One is, I, I was at a cattle call in Cedar Rapids last weekend. And and this was like a, a Republican political event from Earth 2. You know, it's all of the old establishment, Chuck Grassley, Iowa types. And, and they yeah. act as if Donald Trump doesn't even exist. Like Donald Trump's doesn't name, name doesn't come up. They all just talk about Joe Biden and, you know, how old he is and the Biden crime family and all this nonsense that they don't even like Trump doesn't even get mentioned. It's very, it's very weird, actually. I asked a couple of the voters if they felt like it was as weird as me and, and they concurred. When you say it's a cattle call, it was a cattle call of the presidential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bergam was there, uh, Asa Hutchinson, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, most of the debate people. Nikki Haley was there. Um, Christie wasn't there. And Trump wasn't there. So like that middle category of people, Tim Scott wasn't there. So so five are the ones that will be in the debate. Like literally, they didn't even mention Donald Trump. Like nobody talked about him. Um, Ramaswamy mentioned him in a positive way. So uh, so it's like, it's like they're not, you know, he's winning. He has over half the vote in the primary and all the people losing to him by 50 points aren't even talking about him. So that, that's a, a, it was kind of an absurd setting to be at. So I think that some of the candidates will do that. And then I think that DeSantis and maybe one or two others will try to make a practical electability point, not a point about the case, not a point on the merits, but just, you know, the DOJ is bad and the deep states after Trump. But, you know, we can we really nominate somebody that's going to be in a courtroom and, you know, that can't make the case against Biden. And I, I think that you know, we'll probably see DeSantis lean into that argument a little bit more than he has. Is but my you know, guess. You've, got a, you've got a bunch of campaigns and their entire campaign strategy is praying every night that lightning will strike. 
Well, literally, the DeSantis Super PAC, I, I wrote this with Bulwark, DeSantis Super PAC's ever said to me, point blank, that they are considering a delegate strategy of where they can get second. And who knows, you know, what happens with Trump in the courtroom. And, you know, we might end up with a convention fight. Is there any chance that uh, Trump gets uh, a couple of convictions here and he's looking at jail time and the prosecutors say, don't run for president. You won't go to jail. Well, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I, I think that there's some possibility. If you just look at the J- Jack Smith timeline, there's some possibility of this for sure. And and, I, and this was what the DeSantis Super PAC people were saying to me, that, that basically, uh, you know, again, I, this is kind of pathetic in a way that this is your strategy at this point. You're just sort of praying for jack smith to save you but i i do think that the other campaigns are like considering the possibility that that could happen but i, I guess then my question is i mean wouldn't trump control the delegates from jail i just like, like we're getting into uncharted territory here so oh, I no, guess no 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 i think possible. that i think that uh he he would take the deal is what you're saying and then not no i'm thinking out. he might not take the deal but he might take the deal yeah so one we have what are the percentages that a deal like that would be offered pretty Low, maybe pretty low. Also, you'd be worried because Georgia would all the prosecutors would have to agree there. Agree, yeah. Well, I don't think any any of us are lawyers, but if you've got what eighteen, nineteen defendants in a case, that one's going to take a while. Yeah, but we got we got two others that can probably get resolved uh, before the convention's over, maybe, uh, certainly, uh, January 6th. I think that's first up. That would be my guess. And then the second up would be, uh, Mar-a-Lago, the, the documents. And at a certain point, especially the, uh, I don't know, January 6th might be over enough that he's looking at real jail time. Of course he'd be appealing. I don't know, but that's a strategy I'm kind of hoping for. <laughs> I think. I think you and the DeSantis Super PAC are aligned on that one. Al. You guys have the same stuff. That's our. But I'm not sure DeSantis plan. gets it there because let's talk about DeSantis. I've never. This guy is the worst candidate <laughs> I've ever seen. I just wonder who who told Ron DeSantis that he had a personality for politics. Uh, he's governor of Florida. Well, and he won by a lot. And well, first uh, so, time, not by much, but uh, and, and all that was based on uh, I'm a, I put his son in a Trump T-shirt, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but in great. Yeah. This guy, this guy just does not seem to have the personal skills that a candidate at that level needs. He has some political instincts, like, for example, go after the largest employer in your in your state (laughs) (laughs) over over a lesbian kiss over well that's yeah that's over oh is that in a a disney uh, oh yeah the lightyear movie yeah you don't want two women kiss doing a light peck on the on the lips in a movie but i think it wasn't over that they actually took issue with his don't say gay policy when it was just for third grade or something yeah and then he expanded it through high school it's pretty amazing. But you know how many people visit Disney World a year? It's like 45 million. That's an economic driver. And to go after Disney, that's I, I knew that when I was a senator. Don't go after the largest employer in your state. And they made medical devices. But anyway, 
So who in this who in this uh, debate is going for vice president? Well, all of them, I think. Tim Scott for sure. Uh, his advisor sent a tweet earlier that was that was basically trying to push back on this notion, saying you only get in the race to win. But it's like, right. okay, well, you're losing by 40 and you haven't criticized the person beating you yet. Um, so <laughs> I don't like it doesn't. <laughs> Any show, don't tell. Um, but, uh, I, I think Trump's more likely to pick somebody that's not in this field. You know, I think he'd probably look at Tim Scott and think, I, I had one Eagle Scout, you know, type as a vice president once. An evangelical, uh, yeah, yeah I, I not do that again. So, you know, like at least a Stefanik or someone, it'll be some, I think, I suspect it'll be someone like that. Wouldn't it be weird if he just decided to pick Pence again and Pence <laughs> took it? Uh, yeah, it would. The thing that just going back to DeSantis really quick is the, the best thing he has going for him is that there like really isn't another good option. Like going back to Charlie's point about the w- nature of the, how the party's changed. Like Tim Scott, who's obviously more talented as a politician than, than DeSantis, just kind of looks and smells like a Bush era Republican. You know, like he just like the voters just do not buy that he's MAGA. And so that's going to put a ceiling on his support, you know, somewhere around 25%. Like he's just not going to pull from the MAGA part of the party. He's he's Eve and evangelical. Nice. But he's not like, you know, he's not doing the oh, we shouldn't give money to Ukraine or or nobody really believes that he is, you know, gonna put the moat on the border with the alligators in it or send the military to the border. You know, like he's not doing the mag the culture war stuff. He doesn't do the anti woke stuff like DeSantis. You know, there there's a big a majority of the party wants that. So if they move off of Trump, they're not gonna go to Tim Scott. I mean, also, there's also now, also you did not black. overlap with with Scott in the uh, in the Senate, did you? Yeah, yeah, of course you did. Um, OK, OK. I mean, I was trying to remember when he was first elected because he, you know, hasn't had yeah. a race. But isn't he supposed to be one of the most be- best liked members, both sides of the aisle, just as a nice guy? He, he's a, kind of a nice guy. You know, he has his narrative, uh, single mom, I guess, and got this franchise. What was it? Chick-fil-A. Very much about faith. But boy, is he a doctrinaire Republican, but of the old school. So, for example, uh, he was given the job of being the floor leader for the tax cut, for Trump's tax cut. And I remember uh, I went up to him on the floor and I said, Tim, you know, this is going to increase the deficit by $1.9 trillion. And the, the Republicans are always... They're always deficit hawks, at least when there's a Democratic president, right? And he says, uh, no, it won't. And I said, yes, it will. <laughs> and uh, I said, your own CBO scored it that way. That's the Congressional Budget Office for, uh, you know, that was picked by the Republican Party. Okay, your own CBO. said. He said, well, it's a good thing then because they'll have less money to spend. The government will have less money to spend. And I said, well, well, you know, the government creates jobs. And he said, no, it doesn't. And I said, no, 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 the government creates jobs. He goes, no, the government has never created a job. And I said, well, you and I have government jobs. He said, that doesn't count, of course. And then I said, but okay, how about like the interstate highway system? How about that? (laughs) You know, that, that created jobs. How about uh, the internet, 
How about the space program? Uh, how about the transcontinental railroad? How about the Erie Canal? And then he said, well, uh, private sector would have done it more efficiently. I said, the space program. And he goes, yes. And he goes, okay. Uh, so, like, we would have had a man on the moon by the 20s, 1920s then? <laughs> you know, they would have been dancing the Charleston up there. Is that what? What are you talking about? And he he really, that's the kind of Republican he is, which is is a crazy thing. You know, that's the put him in the bathtub and drown him, right? It's a Grover Norquist kind of Republican. So that, to me, is as scary as anything. The merits of that aside, I, the point that I was making is like the Republicans now don't want that. Like they're not interested in Grover Norquist Republicans. I mean, you go to a mega event and you no, ask they people don't like what issues people. that they care about. No, no, they don't meritocracy. care about tax cuts or meritoc- Like They don't care about that. They like the culture war stuff. That's why DeSantis was doing well back in December. They liked the shipping the migrants to Martha's Vineyard. They liked the don't say gay bill. Like that's what was working for DeSantis origi- like originally. Uh, and Tim Scott just doesn't have that. You're saying no to anybody on the uh, who's running now as, as, as a Veep. Is that what you're saying, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll get some relatively no-name person that will be a potted plant and not distract. But I, I don't think it's going to be anybody from this field. But, you know. But Pence was a, g- a genius choice last time because it w- he was an evangelical. And then that combined with pledging to pick only Supreme Court justices approved by the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation meant we'd get Dobbs. <laughs> I mean, by that point, Trump obviously had everything wrapped up, but it did make the social conservatives, evangelical conservatives feel a little better about things by putting some guy on, by putting an Eagle Scout like Pence on. You know, I think they found that reassuring, even though they were really, uh, you know, already in the tank. I'm not sure they were already in the tank for Trump. I think that there's a soft. So Trump benefited from, in, in 2016, you know, there were the third party candidates that got a lot greater share, uh, you know, Gary Johnson and, and Evan McMullen than, than in 2020. And um, I, I do think there were like the softer, even religious folks. Uh, Trump did very poorly, actually, in the primary with like multi-time a week religious Republicans, like people who went to church, uh, not just on Sunday, but also go to church during the week. A lot of those folks were the, were most skeptical of Trump. Like Trump did the best with the evangelicals who are, you know, cultural evangelicals, if you will. And so I do think that that deal helped him on the margins with some folks that might have thrown their vote away or not voted or, or, or something. And the margins was where the election was won. I, I disagree with you. I, I think that was a bigger deal. I thought it was a genius move. And I, I understand it was his, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't think it was a bad decision uh, at all. Uh, I, I just don't know. I mean, no, I just a think terrible it made, made <laughs> decision for the country. <laughs> might normally have some, a few reservations about Trump, feel better about things. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back with Charlie Cook and Tim Miller. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. 
Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's go to the dynamics of the debate. So you've got DeSantis, Ramaswamy, probably Pence. Uh, Scott, not yet in, did you say? He's 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 in. He's in. Okay. Uh, Nikki Haley... Christie and and Burgum. Okay. Are are they going to be mixing it up? Are they going to be attacking each well, other? Does it, and does it matter? I don't think Donald Trump's going to show up. And if he doesn't show up, I don't think a lot of viewers are going to show up. So I don't know that this debate is going to mean anything if Trump's not there. Well, we're doing a podcast on it, so we have to say it means something. <laughs> <laughs> That's how show business works. Well, I I would say it could mean look, DeSantis, I think, is at real risk of, you know, completely bottoming out. And he's pretty close to it already down in the low teens. And and I think that if if the if the interest here is this, what if something happens to Trump, whether it be Jack Smith, whether it be that one well done cheeseburger that some of us are praying for or whatever, like that, like is is there another person waiting in the wait, wait, the the one the the one well done cheeseburger that yeah the artery clogging one right okay. And and so like the question is if something happens like or you know it, it, can DeSantis be there, at, you know in a position to take advantage and I think that he's got to do- demonstrate if he's capable of this you know that he is the alpha and the other choice among this kind of kids table of candidates and and I think that he's at very real risk to to go below Vivek Ramaswamy in Iowa, go below Tim Scott in South Carolina, and go below Chris Christie in New Hampshire. And if he has a bad debate and comes out of this where we're in that situation where he's pulling third, fourth in these states, I, I, he might be in a Scott Walker situation where he gets out of the race. So I, I do. I think that the debate is very meaningful for Ron DeSantis, whether it's that meaningful in the long run about you know Trump and whether Trump is the nominee, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the whole. I mean, I, I if there's not some kind of an adverse health event, I, my assumption is Trump is going to be the nominee. And that that none of these guys have the chops to take him out. And particularly if you're not going to take him on, which only Christie is really doing. But just a couple hours ago, uh, the new uh, NPR, PBS, Marist poll came out and they asked a two way between Trump and DeSantis. And Trump led 67 to 29 among Republicans and Republican leaning incumbents, 67, 29 among just Republicans. Uh, 65 to 30, and among the Republican-leaning independents, 72-24. So Trump is stronger even with independents. 
Yeah, I think people don't realize like DeSantis was neck and neck with Trump in these head to head polls in, in Christmas. I think there's a lot of folks, you know, particularly on the left or whatever that think, oh, Trump had a total stranglehold on this. and This has all been for show. And, there, and you know, it didn't doesn't really matter. That isn't really true. Like, no, after DeSantis the midterm. campaign has been a disaster. Yeah, right after the midterm, DeSantis and Trump were head to head. This is a disastrous turn to be down 40 just six months later. I, I kind of wonder, though, whether the period right after the midterms, whether it was kind of a an artificially weird people period, because you know Trump quite appropriately took a lot of blame for Republicans underperforming the midterm, and so that sort of depressed his support for a bit. Uh, DeSantis wins re-election by 19 points. That kind of pumped him up, but after a little while and some exposure, it kind of the the things just reverted to the mean. But the exposure, <laughs> the exposure was. The Santas. Yeah, and it, and it was just and and the the closeness of it may have been overstated by what was going on immediately after after the election, and then now it's obviously wider than it was before the election. So I just don't see Trump being stopped unless there's a, a medical event. I mean, on the on for the Republican nomination. Well, I think there may be a legal event. In other words, he may be looking at jail time. Seriously, I. I I, I actually hope the uh, trial will be televised, the uh, January 6th one, but it won't be, right? There's no chance of that. Not, the, yeah, not, not federal. but uh, The judicial conference won't, and, but uh, the one in uh, Georgia will be. And is there any chance that people will watch this? And no, What am I saying? We, we saw the January 6th committee hearings, and that didn't change any Republicans, did it? I just think that the the wheels of justice move very, very slow. And when someone has, you know, the resources that Trump has to slow things down, you know, in one case, 18 or so defendants. Yeah, that seems I'm like a slow one. Breath that you're going to have a full blown trial before the election. Oh, yeah, I think you will in the January uh, 6th one, don't you, Tim? I think Jack Smith's going to try his damnedest to make sure it happens. Um, you know, I try not to get in the prediction business about things that are outside of my wheelhouse, but uh, you know, he's trying to schedule a date for January for a reason. I, I think he's very focused on making that happen. And it seems like based on what legal experts are saying, that a lot of the choices that he made about the nature of the indictments was because he wants to make sure that the trial happens before. And he's the only defendant. Yeah, right. And and the judge seems to be uh, very uh, keen to get this going, too. And she says that if he violates her orders, she's not going to jail him, but she said she might move the date of the trial up. So I think she's keen to do it, and I don't know how long a trial this really is. I do. I do agree with that. But here's another thing. Even in that optimistic scenario, Al, you know, where, where there is a trial, where something happens, where he decides that he wants to, you know, he cuts a deal, anything, whatever fantasy scenario you want to put forward. I, like the, the Republican voter, going back to Charlie's original point, wants ma- the MAGA stuff. Like they're going to want somebody that's like Trump. If, if Vivek Ramaswamy, who's kind of doing this MAGA cosplay, it, it was a 40 something year old evangelical rather than 38 year old Hindu. Like, I think he would be the clear person that they would go to, I, you know, and that's what DeSantis is going for him early. So, you know, if Trump drops, that is the voter that matters as, as like this MAGA voter that really likes Trump. And so I think that's why a lot of these other candidates are kind of irrelevant. Uh, and Haley has no chance of being 
the Veep. She gave this speech at that cattle call I was talking about. Yep. It could have been at an AEI conference. It was appealing mm-hmm. to me a little bit. I mean, she was talking about Ukraine and how the important American it is to American Enterprise Institute, which is a, uh, yeah, it's the American yeah, Enterprise it's a conservative. Institute. It's like an old line conservative. Think, uh, think tank. Uh, think tank, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it was about her criticism of Biden is that he wasn't doing enough to help in Ukraine, which, you know, is, is in, in the bulwark wheelhouse here. Uh, but I, in that room, I mean, it was like you'd hear a pin drop. Uh, she was lucky that there weren't tomatoes being thrown at her. And so I just... I, like there's just no appetite among the Republican base for somebody like Haley right now, and that's why she's at two or three percent. So these people, do these people make it to Iowa? I think you could probably count on one hand the number of candidates that are going to be still be in this race on New Year's Eve. I mean, someone will be trying to hang on just in case lightning strikes. But you know, at some point, you just generally most presidential campaigns that that fold, they fold because they run out of money. That people stop giving. And uh, I don't know how a lot of these folks are going to keep going after, particularly after a couple of debates, or whether they're not either not being in a couple of debates or doing so badly, or or with the thresholds going up where it makes harder and harder to get on the debate stage. I think this field's going to be much less than half of the size it is now. Yeah, Pence could barely get on this debate stage. Has Pence helped himself by becoming a little angry? Uh, he's helped himself with me, which I don't <laughs> think is a great sign <laughs> since I left the party. I mean, have we <laughs> seen know? any any uptick in his polling? No. He may sleep better at night, but you know, I don't yeah, think exactly. it doesn't affect his chances any at all. In that New York Times poll that they did, Nate Cohn and those guys were doing, I, I, this was my favorite staff New York Times poll, is that Pence's favorability rating, which is, you know, people that say they have a favorable versus unfavorable rating of him, uh, is like negative one or even, or it was 44, 43, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, RFK Jr. was like 52, 13. I'm, I'll give or take a couple. I'm, I'm doing this from memory. But so it's like, the, you know, because of the anti-vax stuff, RFK Jr., the lifelong Democrat is massively more popular among Republican primary voters than the most recent vice president, just because it was actually on January 6th. Well, here's the thing. If you do a Venn diagram, right, and you do uh, people who love Trump, none of them are going to like Pence because he didn't do what he needed to do to become president. And then people who hate Trump, they're not going to like Pence because Pence uh, was this toady for four years. So you kind of do wonder who wants Pence. But what if he just shows some some balls during the trial? You know, like says this motherfucker almost had me killed. (laughs) You know, something like that. Might be able to sell more books. I don't know. I mean, he said, I'm an evangelical, but this guy almost, you know, I don't know. I don't hold out hope for Pence because of my Venn diagram thing, which is I don't see any Republican liking him because either they, if they, if they uh, love Trump, they hate Pence. If they hate Trump, they hate Pence. So this, this Marist poll that came out this morning, uh, 44% of Republicans say Trump did nothing wrong, 44, 43, unethical, but not illegal, 
and only nine something illegal. And what percentage of uh, Trump uh, or, or of Republican voters who say or, or voters who say they'll vote in the Republican primary think that Trump won the election? Uh, I think it's something it's, like 75 It's, it's, it's around two thirds, isn't it, yeah, Tim? Two, thir- two thirds. Is, you know, it's different from poll to poll. But yeah, two thirds is a good rule of thumb for that. Yeah. And is this all Fox? I mean, is this? I mean, Tim, you must be sort of thought a lot about this, about your party and why it went where it went. Is it Fox? Is it social media? Yeah, I and mean, the media is part of this, but it's like it is bottom up, right? And and I do think that that there's a meaningful difference, right? If you go back to the '90s or whatever, where you had Rush, and and there were problems with that, obviously. But the people that listen to Rush, like also watch Tom Brokaw at night, you know, so like their the information that they were getting was, was a little bit tempered with, you know, some checks to reality. Well, I wrote a book called Rush Limbaugh is a big fat idiot and other observations. Yeah, I know, right. Exactly. So and then, a good reference point. And but, then I wrote lies and lying liars who tell them a fair and balanced look at the right, which was all still uh, available on Amazon. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and that was about Fox, right? That was about cable TV. So Ru- you're right. Rush was on at a point where there were three network news shows at night, but no cable. Yeah. And so people got different stuff. And so just really quick, Charlie, now, let's go. But uh, like now the problem is the tiger is out of the cage here and like you can't control it. And so Fox now is only one part of the problem, right? And, and, you know, you have all these other outlets that have sprung up that are even crazier than Fox and even more MAGA and even more willing to spread lies that, that people are choosing. And so if you're an average Republican primary voter and you ask them like where you're getting your news, it's like, oh, it might be Steve Bannon's podcast or Candace Owens and maybe it's Newsmax and maybe they turn into Fox for the shows they like, but they don't like you know, Steve Ducey anymore because he's not nice enough to Trump. So, you know, I, I but they aren't saying like, oh, you know, I have a mix of I have a mix of news. Like I'm reading the local paper and I'm <laughs> I'm watching Lester Holtz. Like that's not it. Like they're they're completely in a, you know, hermetically sealed information bubble. And so I think that Fox is part of that now, but it's it's going beyond Fox. Well Charlie, you've been polling the the country for for decades. Uh what are you seeing in that regard? I, I mean, I agree I, uh, with everything Tim said about the different media ecosystem that conservatives uh, and Republicans have. But I would argue, you know, you go back 60, 70 years and a lot of people were uh, what I would call ancestral partisans. I mean, they were Democrats or they were Republicans because their parents and grandparents had been. And you had two broad based parties, diverse, ideologically diverse parties and sort of conservatives kept Democrats from going off into a ditch on the left and liberals kept Republicans from going off into a ditch on the right. There were plenty of moderates in both sides. But starting in the 80s and 90s, you started seeing this ideological sorting take place and sort of an exodus of liberals out of the Republican Party and conservatives out of the Democratic Party. And that, uh, you know, the moderating influences in each party basically went away. It's more dramatic, certainly on the Republican side. But, you know, I don't think there's any doubt the Democratic Party is more liberal now than it was under Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton or even Barack Obama. The two parties have become more monolithic. But with the Republican side, uh, it's been demographic. It's been geographic. 
Well, geographic is the South. I mean, you South and, and six, small town six, rural and rural. You have to understand that the 1964 Civil Rights Bill, the, the South used to be Democratic, and there was uh, rural electrification. There was a lot of stuff where the Democratic Party stuck together on things, and there were Northeast liberals, right? And those Northeast liberals were like Jacob Javits and they started to disappear and became just liberals, liberal Democrats. Yeah, I mean, when I, I, when I came to Washington as a freshman in college and started working on, on the Hill part time in, in January of 73, you know, you had two Republican senators from New York. You had two Republican senators from Maryland, from Vermont. From Oregon. When I came to the Senate, we had two uh, Democratic senators from North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think there were there were a lot of things. And part of it was media culture. Part of it was changing geography of, you know, Republican Party, the center of gravity, moving away from the coast and moving out from the cities and Democrats becoming more urbanized. So I think it's a, it's a lot of things um, have come together. But the sort of takeover of non-college whites in the Republican Party was, a, you know, a big, a big, big piece of it. And that, you know, you had Republicans running for president for years and years, and they would talk a real conservative game. But when they got in, yeah, they governed right of center, but they didn't deliver nearly as conservative as they had promised. And I, I think the the hardcore conservatives just got a belly full and that that was one of many things that in 2016 triggered a revolution where the establishment Republican Party was basically thrown out. And this is why Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, to bring back to the debate, don't matter. I just, in the end, just have this ceiling of people, you know, that they can reach. And, and I think that, and and that is just to kind of add on to what Joey's been saying, just about, about this new batch, this current makeup of the primary, right, is that you've now lost the people that were you know, whatever, stereotypically in the suburbs, like, oh, socially moderate, fiscally conservative types, like they're not voting on Republican primaries anymore. Uh, you know, they were voting for Pete and the Democratic primary uh, for the most part. And you've brought in these people that that their main motivating issue is the culture war stuff and the nationalist element, the anti-immigrant, you know, isolationist and the culture war elements. And so all of those new people that have come into the party, anyone from the pre-Trump era is anathema to them. You know, like if you smell at all, like you're somebody from the Grover Norquist era, it's like, oh no, you're an establishment shill, I don't want you. And so that's when you look at this field, it's hard to see who else, you know, Vivek is really the only other one who kind of naturally comes from the post-Trump era that can appeal to those folks, but he has his own, you know, kind of demographic issues. Have you heard him speak? So I went to see DeSantis and him back to back in Iowa. And I mean, he is just a hundred thousand times better than DeSantis. I mean, it's just, you know, Tom Brady versus like a peewee football quarterback, just as far as the, just the presentation separation. Now, obviously they're more, that's presentation isn't everything, but he's very good. You know, obviously there's probably a phony element to this, uh, you know, and he's like, he goes very weird MAGA uh, elements and, 
you know, rabbit holes. But, you know, I thought he was more like to, to use the Democratic analogy, not to compare on the merits, but just on presentation style. I expected him to be more like Andrew Yang, kind of quirky, but he really was more in the vein of Pete. Like he comes off as somebody who's very smart, very educated. People ask questions. He gives detailed answers that offer MAGA red meat. And at the mm-hmm. end, he has the crowds on their feet in a way that DeSantis didn't. Again, though, you know, at the event I went to in Iowa, the third question was, you know, talk to us about how you're Hindu. And, and he gives like a very tortured answer about Judeo-Christian values. And he like reminds people that, you know, he's not the type of Hindu that believes in mel- many polytheism. And it's like, oh, God, uh, you know, so you can see like the, some of the limits that he has, certainly with the evangelical elements of the party. So anyway, once you're explaining all that, I think there's a problem. But but just that, like he is doing that. We're going to send military to the border. We're not going to give another cent to Ukraine. You know, we need to you know make wow. sure our family values are back in the school. And that's, like, that's where like, Republicans are. So you've been. And that's where they are. They they do not believe that Russia is a threat. I mean, again, there's some vestigial Republicans. In the party, uh, maybe a quarter. I don't know, Charlie, you look at the data closer to me, but my, just ballparking, I'd say maybe a yeah, quarter of the party. Hard. Yeah, that, that are that are still, you know, want us to be strong in Ukraine, care about military alliance. All, you know, there's a GOP voters for Ukraine ad that just came out by some of my friends are doing this. You're trying to trying to push the party in the right direction on this. but you And, and it's the voices of real voters. And you notice demographically, like there's some older voters that are of the Cold War era that like remember that why this the NATO alliance is important. And, and there's still a quarter of the party there, which is not insignificant. But the majority of the party is, is now completely accepted the isolationist line. Well, that's that. why. And then I want to ask you this of Charlie, of course. Do Democrats take the House back? And it's way, way, way ahead of time, but that seems pretty important. Yeah, we came out of 2020 with the House, you know, basically five, six seats apart. Then we came out of 2022, five, six seats apart. Frankly, I don't think, you know, I think it's just going to stay in that range where nobody's going to have a majority of more than, say, 10 seats no matter what. And, you know, when you have an evenly divided country, elections are going to reflect that. And and the only reason the Senate may not be as close as it is now is that Democrats just have a terrible map, you know, defending seven seats in states that, that Trump carried at least once. And Don't Republicans in the Senate, aren't they more inclined to support the war? Oh, yeah. 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 So I mean, that's, it's that's about what... the churn of the members, right? And it's a six-year terms. I, it t- it's going to take a while for, you know, the old line Republicans to get, you know, all primaried out. And some of them and are having say, broader first. constituents, having a yeah. broader constituency, right. a whole state rather than, you know, a packed up, extremely partisan congressional district. Yeah, that's where gerrymandering has really yeah, kind of hurt population, everything. Just patterns. People, they want to go where they're comfortable and they want to leave where they're uncomfortable. And they're voting with their feet. And now, you know, recently just leaving states for political reasons. You know, it used to be the only reason you might have an economic concern or whatever about uh, uh, about moving is because you want to go maybe to a state that had no state income tax or something like that. But now the culture has gotten into it so that people are are moving in some ways because they want to find people like themselves. They don't like who they're around. None of this is good, is it? 
Yeah. Well, here, here's something. <laughs> as long as we're going to get depressed, in the two uh, Marist NPR PBS poll came out today, this morning, um, they asked people, when thinking about the issues that divide this country, do you think, one option, there is a serious threat to the future of our democracy, or there is not a serious threat to the future of our democracy? 87% of Democrats said there's a threat to democracy. 12 mm-hmm. did not. Okay. 87, 12. Among Republicans, 88, yes. 10, no. It's just that each define the other as a serious threat. <laughs> and it's like, wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I guess I'd say the only positive of this is, as the former squishy Republican representative on the podcast, like I was pretty encouraged in the midterms about you know, how there is a, uh, maybe not as many as we'd hoped, but a, a majority support, or maybe a better put, a majority opposition to the anti-democratic right. And if you look at a place like Arizona, and really, it was my people, it was the McCain flake voters that switched, right? Like it, was, it was not really a turnout story, you know, in the midterms. It was people that used to vote Republican in a red state that were like, no, like Carrie Lake this woman is a lunatic. Blake Masters is creepy. This stuff is too far, and we're going to switch. And so I, I think that is that is the encouraging part about. I also think that you're stuff. seeing in places like Wisconsin and in Michigan and Pennsylvania, you're seeing them go back a little bit to uh, more moderate uh, and democratic stances. To me, I had about two dozen races. Maybe four Senate, four governor, four secretary of state, four AG, eight House races where Republicans just jumped the shark. Uh, they just nominated people that were just, you know, too far. And a lot and of those, those are Trump supported. Mattered, and Republicans lost them. But when you look at the national vote, uh, it, it, uh, it, you know, it was, it was more in line with what you'd expect from a midterm election. But Kind of like with, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton in, in, in 2016. It's not how many votes you get, it's where do you get them? And where it really mattered, Republicans didn't get them in those two dozen MAGA races. But nationally speaking, um, you know, they, they won the national popular vote by a couple of points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that should be the last word, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm usually the dark one, so I'm happy to let Charlie end on that. I was kind of optimistic going in, um, but not now. Thanks, guys. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Al. Okay, um, uh, Charlie, it's the last time you're on. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com 
survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.